Welcome to The Messy Path, a podcast where we navigate through the mess of personal, spiritual, and relationship growth. I'm Ariel, a rapid transformational therapist. And I'm Whitney, an intuitive relationship coach. Join us as we discuss the beauty in the mess of our lives. Hello, everyone, and welcome. Welcome to our podcast episode today about witches. Um, We are being joined by my dear friend and historian, Hannah Bailey, uh, joining me and Whitney today. Um, I am tuning in from a very cool and foggy look over Lake Michigan from Door County with the leaves turning and you can just feel that change happening in the air at this time of autumn. So it's a perfect time to talk about witches. And of course we have a gathering of three as witches and magic often come in three. So it's very perfect for today. Uh, So as we're getting started, I want you to maybe close your eyes, maybe just take a moment um, and think about a witch. What does what do they look like to you? What's that image that you're conjuring up in your mind? What do they sound like? What are they doing? Mm-hmm. And how is it affecting you today? Something that we often don't think about directly, but does have a direct effect on many women um, today in our witch wounds. So Today, we're going to talk a little bit about how that vision of the witch that you probably see in your mind's eye today came about, a little bit about the history of what what these women were actually being accused of, what what the history of it is, and how it affects us to today. So um, is there anything that we want to, how should we get started with this, ladies, who wants to take it um, away here? I feel like historian Hannah could just like roll with it and we can, I don't know, chime in with our spiritual woo-woo like input. Cause I, I appreciate witches very, very much. And I think I have grown in my knowledge ish and appreciate them for just powerful women. But like, I don't really know much else as far as the history of witches go. I think this might be a good question to start with. Mm-hmm. Do we identify or associate ourselves as witches I I want to be one (laughs) (laughs) exactly (laughs) when I grow up I want to be a witch Um, but I don't feel like I am one now simply because I don't I don't think I understand the practice I don't know the practices I you know I have my own spiritual practices which may lean witchy depending on who you're talking to but I don't feel like I know enough to say like, I'm a witch. Um, so yeah. I feel similarly. I know an, a fair amount about witches in the past. I know a lot about witches in fiction. I, I am a baby witch myself, I think, <laughs> kind of appreciating more and more my witchy ways. Um, I'm definitely that person also thank goodness for Madison Wisconsin Mm. where I legitimately get asked if I'm going to like solstice festivals and ceremonies (laughs) like that that's a part of my 
my world. Um, and, you know, there are all kinds of folks who have sound like bonfires and these sorts of things who may or may not self-identify as witches. Um, but I think it depends on how narrowly, narrowly or broadly we're defining mm -hmm. which, if by which we mean a woman who is spiritually aligned with and open to the cycles of nature and goodness and positive and negative energy around them, then absolutely that's, that's me and many of the greatest, strongest, most powerful women I, I know, people I know. Um, but I'm thinking in particularly because witches are so often gendered feminine, I'm thinking mm -hmm. particularly about women and women identifying folks in that mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. Totally. I think another question that and it's immediate follow up is, uh, would we have been accused of being a witch in the 1300s? And the immediate answer is yes, 100%. Yeah, thousand percent. Um, I have yeah. red hair. Uh, <laughs> boom, bitch. Like, like, like uh, we talk about our rights or just talk and gather as women, right? That's a that's a big part of what what witches did. We have our own businesses, pursued education, um, talk about rights for women, all of these things, um, I think are, as we'll see a little more, really played into why women were accused of, of witchery um, and really the, the patriarchal undertone that, that went into that about really just keeping women down, right? That patriarchal fist um, kind of keeping women's power down. And um, I think in that, a, a big part of when, when society began to turn on, on witches, when society began to turn on women, um, right, we might be able to say is really around um, the Reformation and um, with Luther's Reformation, um, and the, the change of society and culture and religious beliefs like at that time. I think when we look at our folklore, it is full of, of witchcraft, magic, witchery, and uh, even through today. And yet we also have, you know, thousands of women, not only accused, um, but beaten, killed and burned alive uh, for being uh, a witch. Um, when we look back in history as well. Absolutely. I think that like even me as I'm thinking through like my growth and like what I've experienced spiritually like in my lifetime, like I would 100% be considered a witch because I was like asking those questions in Bible class or like to like church elders of like, well, this said this in the Bible, and it kind of says the same thing according to what I've learned about Buddhism. So like, isn't that the same then? Like, you know, like those were the things I was, well, I guess if the, that definition of like, would you be considered a witch, you know, today, just based on your stuff, hundred percent. Cause I had like a teacher tell me I was going to hell for like asking questions like that in Christian school. So like, it's just like, it's so interesting to see the the transition over time and also how like the definition of which has changed and like now it's very in vogue you know what I mean like so many people are doing mm -hmm. boiling pots and like you know blowing cinnamon out their door and you know like there's just all of this like little practices that I feel like people adapt into their own thing so like then where is the line I guess is mm -hmm. yeah is kind of where my head goes um yeah yeah 
I think there's so many interesting dualities too when we think about witches and, and witching, you know, like um, in some societies they were very much at the center, right? Like they were considered to be the most powerful. Um, those societies tend to be non-Christian and non-European. <laughs> um, and then in other societies, which do tend to be Christian and European, they were very much sort of at the edges of, mm. of society. And sometimes I mean that very literally in that like they're living at the edges of a town or mm -hmm. um, at the edges of a forest. Like they're literally on the margins and also they're figuratively on the margins. Mm -hmm. um, and also at the edges of a lot of different human experiences, right? If, if someone's ill, yeah, they're the folks you would call. If someone is about to give birth, they're the folks you would call. If someone's dying, they're the folks you would call. Mm -hmm. So they're very much like at the, I think witches are often um, threatening because they're, they're at those transitional mm -hmm. moments of humanness and of spiritualness. Um, and there's something inherently powerful about the people who guide folks through those transitions. Um, and of course that often came up against a threat that was often perceived as a threat by church mm -hmm. power, right? Because church power is intended to help mm -hmm. folks through those transitions. And so when you have power outside of an ecclesiastical structure that's also helping folks mm -hmm. navigate those really serious transitions and with them in, at incredible moments of, of weakness and vulnerability, um that that's that can be perceived as really threatening totally that's such an I interesting think there's a good part of yeah go, go ahead, ahead Ariel I think it's a really good part about what you said Hannah about the being with people in in birth sickness and death right that mm -hmm. that was often the same woman right mm -hmm. that it was often a, a doula or a healer who was with other women um, in community, right, where we all had those roles. And, and yeah, the, the separation of power that that mm -hmm. gave to a man who's trying to say, I'm in charge of this, I, I, you know, I speak to God, I do this, where mm -hmm. is there anything more powerful than being there and part of the process of bringing new life, new souls in to this earth, helping them at their weakest moments in sickness and helping transition them through uh, going back to, to heaven, right. As, yeah. as the church would want us to believe, right. Yeah. The, of, of passing out of this life. Um, totally. When, when at that time, especially for medieval times, the, the church was really saying, no, women cannot lead, right. Women cannot be in the pulpit. They cannot lead and really stripping power away from them because they did do that, you know, mm -hmm. previously. Um, and now through patriarchal, you know, disconnection of saying, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that. And here are these practices of, of women helping, you know, during those really significant yeah. um, times in people's lives. Well, and it's so interesting too. I'm like, I'm getting this vision of like a, a village, you know, somewhere rural in like picking I'm like thinking of Europe centric because mm -hmm. I'm thinking of like the spread of Christianity so like if you're in a village and it is 
it's functioning on its own, like just with its own society and trade and bartering and like whatever kind of currency and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, there's like one or two people, probably women, probably just one that has the power to bring life in, take life out and heal life. That's a huge fucking threat to a system that says, nope, this is how we do things. We go to church on Sunday, you tithe 10%, you have to use this specific currency. Like it's a huge fucking threat to have this kind of like very- It's a huge threat to the male fragility. Totally. Like that's what it's a huge threat Mm -hmm. to because otherwise it's just like a really beautiful role, right? It's like, yes, this person is gifted or this person is trained or these are the roles of women Mm -hmm. is to help in these times. And yes, it's like, I think that's why, you know, it's called Eve's curse, right? Because otherwise having, giving Eve all of the power of bringing life into this earth, um, hello. Yeah. (laughs) So they must like, hello, that's like way greater power than Adam not yet figuring out how to make fire, you know, and, and it's like, okay, so now, well, there has to be a bad part to this, right? We have to put a curse into it somehow. And that I think is one of the points of like, what witches could do was so outside of a system that was created that it inherently threatens the system. Right. And it stayed in a gendered system too. Right. So disproportionately the women who were accused of witchcraft in the records, according to what we know, they fell into kind of a couple different camps. There was one where it's like, you just actually are a midwife, right? Okay. Yeah. So you know how to use herbs, you know how to use certain meals, certain um, putting the body in certain positions, like you know what to do to make mm-hmm. people feel better, faster. And that might actually mean dying faster, right? Um, that might be one of the ways that they're that they're mm. supporting folks and helping them transition, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and all of all of that knowledge was almost exclusively kept within female communities mm. because it had nothing to do with what men were doing, right? So mm-hmm. there were certain things you needed to know how to do. And certain, um, basically, medica- we would call them today medications, right? That sure. you needed to know how to use that simply did not apply to men's lives, right? Mm-hmm. Things like abortifacients, right? Things that would cause an abortion, right? Um, things that would um, protect a pregnancy, right? Like there were absolutely ways of controlling these natural bodily systems that women knew very well that were completely outside the knowledge of men and when they've learned that right in these in these critical moments where they learned about this entire body of knowledge that they didn't have access to that was incredibly threatening right Mm -hmm. um especially when it meant um, women taking control over their bodies and the processes of their bodies. That's never been a comfortable idea for men. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and we obviously see that, you know, being carried into today, even right now, um, right. we're not accusing, um, clinical facilitators as being quote unquote, witches anymore, but in our current, it's insane to think about it in our current political structure setting up rules and agendas to go after um, 
medical providers mm-hmm. to help with abortions, to help with securing the life of a woman. We're seeing that today, today, mm-hmm. 2022, which is the same thing that happened in the 1300s mm-hmm. um, in a different, you know, it's a slightly different way, but it's the, it is the same. Yeah. Um, and we also saw that in the, the early 1900s in, especially in America, with the flood of immigrants. Well, with the flood of immigrants, they brought their midwives. They brought their, you know, women who knew how to do this. Well, America was trying to build hospitals, was trying to force people to go to these male surgeons, right? And get them to have more work. And so there was a huge smear campaign against Mm -hmm. these um, old country, mm-hmm. um, women healers, and they were depicted as, as witches with the warty yeah. nose, the old haggy looking woman and saying, do you want her to help you? You know, this old haggy witch, or do you want to come into our new clean hospitals, which we knew, which we now know isn't the case at all, right? They didn't know how to wash their hands. They went from, you know, one thing to another to another without sterilization. We had many, many women die from from these things and it wasn't good, even, even still to how we give birth now in hospitals, right? Is not um, in concert for the woman or the baby, right? It's because it's an easier position for the doctor, a male, do- a traditionally male doctor, um, it isn't the right position. You know, laying on your back with your legs up isn't the position that's most easeful to to give birth. And it's like these things aren't just archaic; they aren't just in what I call the black and white time, right? When we look back at at photographs, or these are really we're going back to drawings, right? In books, the 1300s. Um, no, these are things that are, have still influenced our lives uh, today, mm-hmm. right? And so the I want to talk just a little bit more about those other things that women were accused of that, mm-hmm. that got them killed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think touching on part of it, saying, Hannah, that these women were often at the outskirts of town, I think and tell me what, what, if I'm wrong or what you think about it, it's because they had been excommunicated, um, from the church, right. From the community and, and forced into oftentimes these, these outskirts of of town. I think there's, there's that piece of it, right. Which is that, um, they knew that they were (laughs) not, and their particular ways of knowing were not welcomed at the center of a community. And they knew that. Yes. Yeah, they knew that pretty easily. Um, I also think though that for some women, um, they sought that out, right? Mm. Like they sought being removed (laughs) from all the power structures that didn't have much meaning or value to them. And very often cause harm to them mm. and, and their way of lifestyle and placing yourself to the extent that you had choice over it, placing yourself at the edge of a community gave you a little, a little less oversight. It gave you a little more freedom. And also there's just the practicality too of often um, 
a lot of the medications and other things that they would be pulling together um, required access to streams, woods, right? Um, these sorts of areas that that were just easy, more easily more accessible. natural resources, right? Exactly. Um, I think that's important. I think it's also important to think too when we're ready to do so about the other category of witches, right? Which were women who were incredibly powerful mm. <laughs> in their society. Um, so there's like the model of the witch who didn't have a ton of power. By power here, I mean power within the boundaries of their day. So here I mean like political, economic, religious power. Mm. Um, so there were those witches that weren't weren't viewed to hold power in those ways. They were viewed to hold power in terms of the life transition ways and the female community ways that didn't have much meaning to men. But there were also women who were accused of witchcraft because they did have power in ways that were mm. meaningful to men. Um, and those are women, especially widows, <laughs> um, which meant that they had legal right to own property mm. and to be rich. And in some times and places to have political power within the community, um, there was a loophole for a while in very early New Jersey and maybe New York. They're going to take away my history things for not knowing which two states. But there were there were two states very early on in the U.S., by which I mean in the first few years of having a constitution that allowed um, anyone with a certain number of property holdings to vote. And so rich women showed up in droves to vote because they could, yeah, (laughs) according to the legal boundary, because the guys who came up with the new rule for the new state constitution over who could vote didn't even consider the possibility that women would show up to vote, right? So they didn't say Mm -hmm. expressly like men holding property over a certain amount can vote. Because these wealthy um, because, women should exactly. know their place. Like, exactly. They yeah. didn't, they, they properly didn't. <laughs> or think. weren't even considered. I like exactly. that part of it too. They weren't yeah. even like considered, considered. right? They're not yeah. even being thought about. Yeah. Yes. And <clears throat> then imagine how quickly we got a law saying <laughs> men holding property over a certain amount and also white men holding property over a certain amount were now allowed to vote. Um, but there were women prior to that who had a ton of money and zero, they were not covered. That was the legal term. They were not covered by any man. Okay. It was literally mm. called when you were married, you were considered legally to be a femme couvert, a covered woman, meaning wow. you are under the legal, political, economic, religious jurisdiction of a man. So these were alone women, <laughs> lonely women, femme sole, um, okay. alone women who did not have that legal covering. And so they were more, much more free to move about the cabin than any other women who were married. And that was deeply and profoundly threatening. And they were not under the sexual control of any men. And they yeah. were... Um, just kind of able to do what they wanted. And so more often than not, when we see women accused legally of witchcraft, yeah. it, they fall into one of these two categories, right? Either a 
a woman who has a ton of power according to the society in which she lives and they're trying to remove that power from her, right? Or a woman who has almost no power according to the society in which she lives, but has a ton of feminine power behind mm-hmm. her and a ton mm-hmm. of power within feminine circles. Generally, it's in one or the other. Gotcha. Okay, so first of all, we just need to pause and honor the fact that Hannah is a wealth of knowledge on witches <laughs> and all things like historical, mystical <laughs> witchery. So cool. Um, so talking about power and like zooming out a little bit further um we all have a very like eurocentric um view of witches which is like feminine white like new herbs new like the sciences of the time um but then like we don't often consider like witches and stuff in other parts of the world and cultures and stuff so like i know you were just kind of hinting at it but we want to like, let's dive into it a little bit more if we take yeah, gender out of it. Absolutely. Um, yeah, it's fascinating because it's it's still, in some ways, it's absolutely still gendered because it's protecting like white male patriarchy, right? <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And so that's that still is always a dynamic at play here. And also like I know most about like Westbrooks and witchcraft in those communities. So I'll just be really clear that that's, that's what I know best. So that's what I'll speak to here. Sure. Um, I would say when I'm, we talk about people at the edges of society and also at the center, um, enslaved people fit very well within that narrative because we have, they often legally, of course, were legally, economically, socially, spiritually, absolutely at the margins of white society in societies of slavery. Um, And they were at the center of how people were making money and how people were functioning and how um, white supremacy started and was organized legally. Um, And so in that way, they're at an interesting enslaved people, especially enslaved West Africans are in an interesting position where they kind of are already both at the center of a society and also on the margins of it, right? So they're already occupying- Yeah, like the most powerful and and least powerful simultaneously. Exactly. Because the whole society is is based on their life, right? Their workability. Um, exactly. And yet are given no power like for that too. Exactly. Which is a lot of what we're talking about with with the the witches of being there for the birth and death, right? There for the power with yeah. it, but not even being considered. Like yes. know, totally is together. And there was always an attempt by white enslavers to control what enslaved folks knew and how they were able to communicate mm. and um, how they were able to take care of each other. Right. So that was always kind of at the core of the enslaving process was being able to control those things. Interesting. And there was always, of course, resistance to, <laughs> to those very things and those very attempts at control. And so often um, enslaved Africans who were accused of witchcraft often were also women, many of whom had like a midwifery role, many of whom had proximity to enslaving families, white enslaving families, right? So um, these would be women that 
um, white enslavers saw every day. They maybe mm. took care of their kids, mm. right? Mm -hmm. um, they maybe helped them with childbirth. They maybe nursed their babies, right? Like these women who were forced to do these kinds of work yeah. um, and were kind of seen as these go-betweens between the enslaved community and the enslaver family. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, they often were accused of witchcraft again because they're not only are they controlling life and death, but they're doing that for both enslaved communities and the white, white powerful <laughs> colonizing is wow. right um and there were also a bunch of healers um spiritually powerful people in enslaved communities that white people knew nothing about until there was like a catalyst moment where suddenly mm. knew, they knew a bunch about them right mm. um so one of the arguments for the Haitian revolution, for example, for Haiti, like casting off France and deciding yeah. to do its own thing and saying, guess what? We're not going to be a colony of enslaved people anymore. We're going to be a republic um, is a spiritual argument that there were a bunch of West African healers who could bring together their communities along with claiming spiritual power for this group of people of for this group of revolutionaries and that they made possible honest to goodness like the gathering of people that brought wow. about the haitian revolution right so wow. enslavers knew this was not this is like very much a continuation of story that enslavers knew they knew that they had to control spiritual practices sure and so a lot of the ways that we know about west african folks accused of witchcraft are from um the inquisition in spain and there are a lot of really rich records of really? people being accused of witchcraft and sometimes intentionally positioning themselves as witches because mm. that actually was like the least bad thing they could have been accused of so <laughs> how like pause for reflection on that real quick because like we constantly think like witches like that's like the worst thing you could be like even when you're little it's like you can't say bitch so you could call someone a witch exactly. you know because it like rhymes Absolutely. so so then to have like something grow the field negatively to be like oh yep. no witch yeah that's fucking nothing yeah no. I'll be a witch any day it's exactly. so interesting yeah, definitely a witch, definitely didn't on purpose kill all those really awful enslaving folks. Like definitely a witch, the devil made me do it. I will repent, I will be fine, right? Mm, yeah, let <laughs> me buy into your system to like get out of this real quick. Hey, wow. right? It's like, I'm going to speak this spiritual language that means something to you, which is, yep, look at me and all mm -hmm. of my weird, juju hoodoo voodoo that i do and that they knew by the way enslaved people knew to use those words to like denigrate what they were doing wow right? like they knew how to frame what to them were very real spiritual practices in a way that to white legal ears made it sound small Interesting. Right? made it sound so, not powerful so like sidebar question yeah. is voodoo considered like a uh not okay term for the practice that those cultures had great question from what i understand and i'm not an expert on voodoo sure. so I'm very happy to be correct <laughs> about sure. any and all of this yeah but from what i understand is there are folks now particularly in louisiana who view that as like a very legitimate spiritual okay. term sure um, okay. there are others who view it as 
somewhat like denigrating, like, okay, just not, not as strongly connected to their spiritual practice. The gotcha. word itself comes from Vodun, V-O-D-U-N, which is, um, t- which tend to be like, um, a whole, the whole pantheon of gods and goddesses that were available to folks in West oh. African places so that they could call cool. on for particular things. Okay. Right. Cool. So mm-hmm. there are, um, particular, I mean, as with any like polytheistic society, right. You call sure. on particular gods and goddesses for particular things mm-hmm. and make offerings to them to support you in yeah. whatever you're calling on them to do. Okay. So um, that's where it comes from is sort of like that pantheon of gods and goddesses in my own research. There's a really fascinating case. So I studied like a really horrible, um, Dominican monk Mm. who lived in the Caribbean at the kind of turn of the 1700s, so late 1600s to the end of the early 1700s. And he comes across this, um, black enslaved man who he views white monk guy, whose name is Labat views to be a spiritual leader and um snakes in many polytheistic religions have a particular power and this is also true of many west african societies so like having control over snakes um using them in particular ways spiritually has always Mm -hmm. been really at the core of of some of these spiritual practices and there was (laughs) a west african enslaved healer um, who knew how to keep people from dying if they were bit by a venomous snake. Oh, very mm. useful knowledge, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, very useful knowledge. And when Lobot asks this man how he does it, this man absolutely refuses to tell him. Good. And covers mm. it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and it covers it in the sense of like, oh, you wouldn't understand, you know, like just kind of like God gave it to me. It's not your power. It's my power. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. And this is like a clear moment we can. So Labat saw this as like, whatever. He just like probably sidestepped his way into figuring out how to do this. Like he just like Labat viewed this very much as like, this guy doesn't really know what he's doing. So he can't explain what he's doing. Right. Um, And now we can see it as (laughs) like, this is like a very clear moment of this person taking the the limited power they have within the society to say no yeah and to hold on yeah. to a really particular spiritual practice that worked yeah. and that that gave him power in both enslaved and free communities right wild um because everybody gets bit by a snake yes <laughs> exactly yes. <laughs> exactly <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um there's also a really great book um about a person called Domingos Alvarez, um, who has, the reason we know so much about this person who at some points was enslaved and at some points was free and free-ish. And he had a whole complicated life story. Um, But the reason we know about his case at all is because he's accused of witchcraft by the Inquisition. And so we know Mm. so much about his life because of this particular like witchcraft accusation. Um, And so- And isn't, so like pause for irony, I guess is yeah. the best word for it. How yes. fantastic is it that these white male, like, you know, Spanish inquisitioners or whatever were so threatened that they yeah. felt the need to so well document 
this person who was essentially a witch and who otherwise exactly. their practices could have been totally lost. But it was, it was such a threat that you had to, like, this is what this means. And this is where he went then. And these are his connections. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is his history. Like, yes, thank God in a way, you know, because otherwise we could just, it could all be gone. Like yes. so much of like the, yep. the um, cultural practices in Europe are today. Like we don't, we have like bits and pieces, but so much of it was wiped exactly. out by Christianity. Completely. And a reason that Domingos and people like him were able to be so mobile in mm-hmm. these societies where they had very little power yeah. was because they were viewed to have very real spiritual and medical power by both enslaved folks and free folks, right? Cool. Yeah. Um, and so because of that, that gave him weirdly this, this degree of movement freedom on the spectrum of choice and coercion he had far more choices than most people um who were born into his particular status because he was seen to have this spiritual power right it's like well we can't piss off that guy yeah because that's gonna go badly for us we don't know how or why (laughs) it's gonna go badly for us and so we're gonna kind of give him we're going to kind of keep him happy right yeah um we're going to kind of give him more choices than we would give other people Mm -hmm. um and I think we can see some of that like you know pivoting back to kind of a a white Christian patriarchal model I think we can see echoes of that same idea right it's like your options if you are a white male patriarch invested in keeping your power and not sharing it your options are to appease this person who is threatening to your power mm-hmm. or to shut them down yeah right mm-hmm. and yeah. you're gonna make different choices about that depending on their life context and your life context and what you need from each other right totally um so it's it's messy it's a whole big it's a whole big messy picture mm-hmm. um where sometimes like for folks who are accused of witchcraft, there's, they have a very kind of um, prescriptive life instead of things that they are and are not allowed to do. And other times they can have kind of an extraordinary life because there's uh, fewer freedom. There's more freedom. Yeah, Yeah, there's there's fewer boundaries because there are folks who are invested in, in making them feel like they have some choices and some, some power. Right. And what I really hear you saying is that the most threatening thing is someone who is free, right? Oh, who totally. is free, who thinks for themselves, mm-hmm. who, who can act in this and is connected. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of what we're talking about is being connected spiritually, being connected to the earth, being connected in community. And mm-hmm. so when women and marginalized people who are really in those same categories together, get those restrictions put on them, uh, time and time again, you know, that's, that's how you keep that disconnection, right? Yes. And that disconnection is what keeps this imaginary power balance. Exactly. Um, what I think recently is it, if it was within women's nature to be silent, to be submissive, to be weak, we wouldn't need to keep being reminded over and over and over mm-hmm. and over again. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's like, it's something to really listen to. It's something mm-hmm. to really pay attention to is 
you know, I, I said it about a dog, which is a terrible comparison to people, but you don't teach a dog to bark. It barks naturally. Yeah. What you teach is training it how not to bark. And right. that's what's happened when with women. Bark. That's what's right. Yep. And that's mm-hmm. what's happened with women and marginalized people of this, with this, the same um, mm-hmm. is saying, no, you're not allowed to bark. This is where right. we're going to allow you to bark. This mm-hmm. is how it's going to be. And we've seen that all, all throughout history in, oh, in really? different yeah. ways. When you were talking about, you know, the, the widows in the neo-colonial time um, in America being like, oh, hey, we own a bunch of land. We, we can vote as a widow now. Um, we saw a similar thing to that in, in the time of Caesar Augustus, right? Yes. Right, right before and slash at the same time period, you know, of Jesus um, where we see, um, you know, this constantly expanding empire finally loses a massive battle and they lose something like 50,000 men in one single day, which mm-hmm. was a big blow to this kind of constantly winning empire, but they picked up and carried on, right? Because mm-hmm. that's what winning empires do. Um, but in that they said, Hey, this was a big, big loss. So how we're going to balance this kind of show face and be able to keep mm-hmm. carrying on is we're going to limit our, our um, um, extras, right? Yeah. Limit our, ex- um, why can't I think of it? Like um, extraneous like stuff. Yeah. Indulgences. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We're going to limit parties. We're going to limit, you know, uh, the fancy things that you wear around town because everyone is pulling together, right? We see this again, mirrored almost exactly it post-World War II when mm-hmm. the women fill that time by going into the workplace while the men are overseas. We see the same thing happening in, you know, Caesar's time period where it is now, you know, 50,000 men die in one day. That's almost equal to 50,000 widows or women, Mm -hmm. you know, who are without fathers, right? Mm -hmm. So now we have those women owning that power, owning that land, having this wealth at all different levels, but having a significant amount of wealth in, in Rome. And when the time was over, right, they're like, yep, okay, we'll put our heads down. We won't do the parties, similar to how women in in the States in World War II, we're like, yep, we're in the factories, mm-hmm. we're doing the work, we're filling in the gaps, we're supporting things. Then afterwards, you have these rules that were kept to keep these powerful women in check. We see those rules stay, but having them not applied to the men who are now coming mm-hmm. back and rising in power. Mm-hmm. Much like we see post-World War II, the men coming home and saying, hey, women, you got to go back to the house because we need jobs, right? right? Instead of looking for that in a more balanced structure now, you know, too. And we see in the Roman time, women flooding the forum, saying, demanding that they have these rights, that they have this much like we see in the 1960s in the United States, the rise of the feminist movement of saying, hey, no, we do deserve this and we deserve these rights. And Mm -hmm. we touched on it slightly, but a big push for this, although we've already seen it clearly BC with with this um, in Roman times, but we also see it a big part in the Reformation, where Mm -hmm. the Reformation was really pushing women into a 
um, a more submissive, silent um, household and actually um, quoting a lot of those Roman forum times of saying, well, what are these, you know, loud women talking about? Mm -hmm. They should be home and under the direction of their husbands. And it was like, mm -hmm. hello, their husbands all died. You yeah. killed them in the war. <laughs> now we want our own rights, right? Like we saw you not doing a great job. So now we see the Reformation, them using yeah. that same language to be submissive. And, um, and I think a really interesting aspect of that was then what later followed into the industrial revolution um, of, that pushed jobs out of the home is before mm -hmm. you had women working and taking care of the children at the home and they could be brewing, they could be midwives, they could be doing all these other tasks and being a, a wife, a homemaker, a caretaker mm -hmm. and having this all be this type of uh, you know, blended, fulfilled mm -hmm. unit of, of roles, right, and mm -hmm. responsibilities, as we see that push towards the industrial revolution, making laws and rules against um, working from the home, having more structure to it, that all the more male centric. Now we see that disconnection that push women into the home even further, right? So mm -hmm. all throughout history, we're really seeing this and I want to touch just briefly on some of the horrors of what was done to women also, because I think that this is um, also crucial. I think one of the things I think I glance over is saying these women were burned. I, I think it's something that you, even for me as an empath, can't even allow myself to fully like feel into mm -hmm. Here we have in history at one point, uh, um, a period it was like of about a hundred years where we had literally thousands of women. I believe it was between like 1560 and 1660 in Europe, thousands of women burned alive, you know, at, at a stake. And, and, and you, you think about that and you're like, how is it the women that we were taught to be afraid of? Here mm -hmm. we have men literally burning their sisters, their cousins, their neighbors, their bakers, who have probably helped them or helped their friend or someone at one point in time, who probably birthed their children, right? Helped in these some ways, um, killing them horrifically. Um, and that wasn't the only part of it. I think we often hear that as the most kind of noteworthy because it was, um, but so many of the other crazy things that, that were done to these women um, at that time. Yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And like, I think that this is part of the work that the, like, this is gonna zoom us out into a conversation we could have for like seven years, but it's part of the work that I think our generation is embarking on the most mm -hmm. is understanding generational trauma, understanding the fact that we reside fully now in a system that it is created to control us a hundred percent. Like, and, and while we do have our moments of like feeling like we're breaking free at the end of the day, we've got our fucking iPhones and we need the right headphones to fit the iPhone. You know what I mean? And we got to do our taxes and we got to do this and we got to do that. Yes. And like, it's just, 
it, it's so infuriating and, but at the same time, so empowering for our generation, especially women in other marginalized communities to say, we're going to do this fucking work. And like, and yeah. we're going to admit like, there's a big, like, especially for me as a white woman, before I start doing anything now uh, that might be spiritual or um, kind of culturally significant to me or something that like brings me joy, my like, one of my newer filters is, am I appropriating something that just right. isn't mine? Because right. we are so literally whitewashed that yeah. we can't even connect to like what those women were doing or could do, or even the, like allowing ourselves to feel that pain because it's just so fucking mm-hmm. heinous, like yeah. everything that happened. So it's just, it's so interesting for us to be able to sit here today and have this conversation and yes just move that energy through us at least of like, wow, like I can't fathom being a woman my age in 14, 17, right? What the fuck would I have been doing? Yeah. You know, would I have even had the power <laughs> to be as empowered as I am today? Or would my circumstances be so wildly different that like, I did just shut up and had 25 babies by now and was probably dead anyways because I'm in my mid-30s. Right. You know? Because you were okay. legally bound to be, you know, sexually submissive to your husband. And then, yeah. you know, and our help with the the childbirthing was to have what your goal was to have that, you know, but really a lot based on the kind of dictations of the Reformation and what women's mm-hmm. roles were. Um, I think when we're thinking about society at that time, it wasn't like this one person was, you know, pulled out of the crowd to be burned. I think it was, when we look at their entire culture of life at that time of really pushing women down, one of the things that stands out to me is this like metal, like harness, like helmet harness that was put on women that was right. locked into their head. Um, so it's like a cage that was put over their head and locked together um, that had this like um, what is it called for the football players with the thing that goes in their mouth, mouth, the mouth guard. guard. My mm-hmm. God, the like more or less a mouth guard that was these sharp spikes. And it was meant to keep women silent because if you were to talk, this, the, this mouth guard would literally shred your tongue. So you get that put on you. How much are you talking out? Like after that, I mean, like, and then I look back into my life of how many times I have been told I am loud. And I, you know, just like, you're too loud. You're talking too much. You're doing that. I think every bit of our conversation right now, what is there? What was women's, why was the talking substantial, right? Because women's power was in community. It was in talking. It was in connection. I think this is one of the reasons why I'm so upset by this modern take on historical women doing, you know, Kung Fu moves and, and doing cartwheels to kick men in the face, um, you know, in, in, you know, Robin Hood, and you're like, no, that actually wasn't their power. Women were powerful. They were powerful with potions. They were powerful with their word and they were powerful with their influence within their community. And that's why their tongues were, were shredded, right? That's why they were told to be silent 
That's why they were told to sit with their husbands and not with the other women at church anymore. This is why we have this disconnection was all to keep them from the, the, the connection that comes, the, the power that comes from connection, right? The power that comes from that community. And I think regardless of what spells or practices or rituals, you know, are pulling up nowadays, I think the primary part of our healing is just in coming together as women. And I think this is where the healing and the rise of the divine feminine is really coming forward. And to me, I think that's so much why we have this rise of witches happening now Mm -hmm. and for the last few decades, but even especially now, right? Crystals are abundant, right? Spell books are abundant these days. We see hocus pocus, you know, coming back. So many witches stories um, and to really see see this upheaval. But I think it's, it's the fact that, you know, you cannot kill the magic, right? Because the magic is the connection. When we think about um, Hannah, when you were saying earlier, you know, that these skills were passed, right? From women to women and, and they were there together. Well, how was it passed? It was, it was passed through talking to speaking Mm -hmm. it, right? To spells because women often weren't educated in writing. And so how do you keep the spells? How do you keep the knowledge? How do you keep that from being passed on? Well, you, you stop them from talking, right? You tell them to be silent. Yeah. You call it gossiping. Exactly. Yes, right. Demonize it. Mm-hmm. I have the devil's, the devil's playtime. Mm-hmm. I have nine hundred things to say in response <laughs> what was just said, but I think they're all about soft power. So I'm going to try mm-hmm. to keep that as the theme. Um, I hate even the nature of that phrase. <laughs> sure. The idea soft that power. there's yeah. yeah. I, I am just like violently opposed to it because power is power exactly. and making it soft is just a way to feminize it in a yeah. way mm-hmm. that's unnecessary, right? To it's make like it like power. a different class of power. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Right. It's girl and boss. To automatically it's not make boss. it feel exactly mm-hmm. to automatically make it feel like lesser. Right. Totally. Um, this, so like the device you were talking about, Ariel was your penance for being accused of gossiping right like if you were brought before the court for gossip or slander that's what your sentence would be um and so this like actual idea of controlling speech is a very real one and it was socially dictated right um another thing too that's worth saying about the horrible ways in which many societies decided to kill witches is thinking about the public good of that so for Mm -hmm. most really up until like the end of the 1700s there was this idea that torture brought catharsis and spiritual healing to the entire community wow right so you couldn't you couldn't that's interesting because i always wonder why were these public like it just seems like more shame right brought more shame but to think that it was that in some twisted way, someone thought it was cathartic. It was just crazy, yes. right? So there's this idea of, um, I like to think of the example, which was the example, Voltaire, who's tattooed on my arm. Um, he wrote against this particular example because there was a Protestant who was accused in late 1700s France 
of having a role in his son committing suicide. Sorry, mm. dying by suicide, mm. correcting my language about that. Um, and they did horrifying things to this man and they gave him what literally is like the traitor's death. Like if you um, had, if you tried to take the king's life or the life of someone who is like that level important in the society, you would be hanged, drawn and quartered, meaning they would hang you not until dead. Yeah. Not until dead, until you were like a little bit asphyxiated. Um, then they would have your arms and legs tied to four different horse carts and they would have the horses pull you apart and you would be carried through the streets that way, right? So the idea to our modern brains, it's like, who needs to see that? What the hell is that doing? Like, what yeah. is the point of that? Yeah. But the idea was that this person's sin was so great <clears throat> that <throat> we are putting the entire sins of the community on this person mm-hmm. and they, through hurting their body mm-hmm. and breaking their body, are accounting for the sins of our whole community. And, and so we also need to witness it wild, right? Like yeah. it's not Which is just really interesting considering mm-hmm. that this is in a Christian based society yes. post post Jesus is death. Yeah. That's exactly like, where I was going. The whole point. It's yeah. like when we reflect on time and it's like, you guys missed it. You like really yes. missed the boat here because yes. that what you just described is literal, literally what Jesus embodied right right, through the crucifixion and it's like this doesn't need to be repeated that's the actual whole point is that except that they thought that's exactly why it needed to be repeated right because there was a sin there was a huge sin and the only way we know to fix a huge sin is to break a body in front of everyone Right, because oh that and it was like, then how is that any different the than the sacrifices everybody. in in pre Jesus time? Even exactly, it's the same. It's, the same, it's thing. the same, right? Yeah. Except they can follow that Christ like model, Ooh. right? So Ooh. they can see, right. and then like, you can you can take it to the next level where now we fucking glorify the yes. sacrifices that our right. military makes and make exactly. fucking blow them up movies mm. about it. Exactly. Because it's about like the catharsis that can come from that communal sacrifice, right? Yeah, and fuck the trauma that it's Very bringing up in other people. Yeah, fuck the trauma. Yeah. We don't care about that at all. Yeah. Um, we also don't care at all about the feelings of that individual person. Yeah, obviously. Why would we? Um, yeah. But there, it's basically like in their dying this horrific death, we are all benefiting. We are all healing. We are all being freed because wow. of how they're being killed. Um, so I think it's it's really important to consider as we're thinking about the horrifying things that were done to witches, like w- why those things were done. And it's because they were so threatening to the public order and somewhat paradoxically to our modern brains, they also were taking on the sins of the entire community and used Mm. as sort of a 
it really honestly like yes a sacrifice for like getting rid of those sins collectively so that's that's what i want to say about the horrors of the ways in which witches died a book that i cannot recommend enough is the once in future witches by alex harrow a-l-i-x-h-a-r-r-o-w because she is one of my people she's a historian <laughs> and she envisions this moment in the 1890s when women's suffrage is really really taking off right which really happened in the u.s she imagines like a somewhat fictional version of the u.s but that still has witches right and so the story is set in this place called new salem and there is a white man <laughs> who is trying to become the mayor of this place and he is using an anti-witch platform to do that while also using powers of witchcraft to take that power for himself mm. oh my god it's almost and like how men use women all the time so right. weird right but and those suffragists right were depicted in those propaganda in real life not just mm -hmm. the story as witches right as these hags who are right. Um, who are wanting this power, right? And so yes. we were depicting them as witches um, with that. Um, I just read something too that was that when we when we imagine a witch, right? It is often, I think of the Wicked Witch of the West, right? From the Wizard of Oz with the crooked nose and the mole and the discolored face. And, and someone said, yes, that's what they looked like. It was because mm -hmm. by the time they that these women of the town were dragged through the town as as saying yes mm -hmm. as admitting to being a witch after an immense mm -hmm. amount of torture their nose was broken their mm -hmm. their coloring in their face was discolored right from bruises or from malnutrition or from mm -hmm. all of these other torturous mm -hmm. things that were done to them and so now they have finally agreed to be uh, being called a witch to stop this torture. They were this mangled, disheveled part of a person mm -hmm. rather than the whole person that they were. And so now as they're being revealed to the town and saying, this is their true selves, um, this is the witch who lived among you. Mm -hmm. But really it was this, this tortured woman right. um, who, who was beat down literally right. to this level. And I think that there's a ton of like sympathy and compassion to have this <laughs> compassion for these women now, like in that. So yes. um, and that it, when we're seeing them, that it isn't this person to be feared, but a person to have compassion for and, right. and reverence for as they were, totally. um, you know, tortured like this. Right. Totally. So in this fictional world, the, the witches are the white man who's stealing power. <laughs> Rich white women who are trying to use the rules in which they live. These are the suffragists, right? Like who are trying to use the rules of the society in which they live to their advantage. And a bunch of poor women and women of color who do not have access to that power. Interesting. So these are like the tears of the witches in this society, right? Interesting. And what do spells look like? 
fairy tales, mm-hmm. lullabies, Ooh. stories we all know, poems we all know, right? Mm-hmm. These things were told as tiny, tiny, tiny humans mm-hmm. by women who love us, right? Yeah. It's those rituals, those like really tender moments when we're mm. falling asleep or we're hurt or we're looking to get calm, right? Mm -hmm. Like this is what spellcraft looks like in this world. And that just opened up my thinking about what witchcraft is and can be, right? Because of course there's like, there's there's Wicca, right? Like there's like an actual religion with like actual practices guidelines that entire communities agree on and ascribe to I I'm open to exploring that but that didn't feel like the most right choice for me in terms of my own like witchy Mm -hmm. journey and so I was trying to think about like what does it look like to to think and set intentions for me in this world as as somebody who is a white middle-class woman which gives me power in lots of ways and it gives me not power in lots of other ways mm-hmm. um what does it look like for me to practice witching right like what does mm-hmm. that look like? interesting and I thought about like how beautiful it would be now that you can't actually physically burn a woman at a stake at the stake at least not in the U.S. for being a witch right yep. um what does it look like to have the power of witching mm-hmm. without the public ritualistic sacrifice of witching, right? Like what can mm, that, yeah. what's, what's available to us yeah. as witchy women right now Yeah, for channeling energy in particular ways, mm-hmm. um, setting intentions in particular mm-hmm. ways, right? Like yes. using an entire mm-hmm. spiritual vocabulary in ways that can move us forward and help us feel more connected and also mm-hmm. like do the things women often do right which are connect each other and, yeah yes and help each other through really vulnerable painful moments like what's available yes. to us for easing that pain it might yeah. be a lullaby it might be mm-hmm. sitting with someone and lighting candles and just listening to the words they're using, right? Mm-hmm. Like what, what does it actually look like today mm-hmm. where we can take that just power? I'm not going to put the S word in front of it, where we can take that just power that has always kind of been the purview of women mm-hmm. and just br- continue to bring that to the fore. Mm. I love that. Yes. Like I'm, having a what I'm calling a witch's party on Saturday yes. right? I'm calling it the black hat society I um, love it but really my my intention with that mm-hmm. is to have a gathering of women yeah. right and I think the more that we do that in in so many ways and opportunities that we can to mm-hmm. to share and speak and gather there's just so much power that comes through through that right I think mm-hmm. one of the things we're told not to talk about right now is still how much money we're making, right? Mm -hmm. Don't talk to your employees. Don't talk to other women about it. And it's like, let's break down, you know, those barriers when we're talking about things. 
um, talking about sexuality. I think something that we're always working on is our friend group is, is talking about the positive things that are happening in our relationship, right? right? Rather than just focusing on the negative things and, and kind of reclaiming these brags, right? These saying, oh, this is so good. This is so good. This is so good. Right. And I think we see that in a way through social media and that look is tarnished, you know, so much. And at the same time, there's a part that's like, why not put your rose colored glasses on? Why not put your filters on? Why not do your hashtag blast brags as much as you want to? Because that's how we call in more of that power. That's how we call in more of that energy. You know, there's a lot of layers, right? A lot, mm-hmm. Not everyone has that intention for it. Um, but when we're, we're bringing about those connections and those positive messages, I think is so helpful. Um, mm-hmm. I'm also hosting a, um, group RTT wo- witch wound healing session, which I love, um, the Monday yes. before Halloween. Yes. yes. And why I think this is important is because as we are talking about in this entire conversation, the the main point with witches is taking away the power of women. Um, and we, that has affected our society, not just way back when, but through till now, um, you know, Whitney, you said, you know, you're, you're a religious teacher um, in, in elementary school telling you you're going to hell because mm-hmm. you were asking questions. You were putting things together. You were asking mm-hmm. questions my mom was kicked out of a, of a women's um, group at church for being a witch. She was told you're a witch and you can't come to our group anymore because she had explained um, the, the, the book, The Secret to a group of women who asked about it. And this would have been right <sighs> after, you know, it was on Oprah's television show. Yeah. Right? And she's like, listen, if I was a witch, do you think that my husband and my kid would be sick? Right. It's like, yeah. do you think that this is where I would be? I would have gotten out of this in some way, in a bigger yeah. way. Right. And so we also see how this affects us today is through lack of confidence, lack of mm-hmm. safety, lack of safety in sharing our gifts of talking to each other, feeling hopeless or despondent, watching our rights to our, our body, our bodily autonomy continued to be a battleground, continue to be trying to be stripped away, right? And feeling that despondency, feeling that maybe anger. Um, I helped a woman who, um, who had uh, er- um, eczema kept coming up on her hands. Mm-hmm. And when we did her RTT session, the root of that ended up being from um, her hands being burned in a, in a past life. Wow. And so whenever she was doing more of her um, kind of healing practices, talking about in intuitive medicine, um, this eczema would flare up on her hands. But now, because she knew that being able to heal and say, that isn't where you are now. You are more protected. We can heal and, and give forgiveness to that part of ourselves. Now we can move forward. And like you said earlier, Whitney, I think that is such a big crux of our role right now. I think I'm often asking myself when, when these women's rights issues are really rearing its head lately, what's my role in this? What am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to be picketing? Am I supposed to be this? And what for me feels right is saying, let's do the healing, let's do the coming together and the healing. And so 
I'm really excited to be hosting the Witch Wound RTT group healing session on October 24th. So we can share more information about that in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I encourage you, if you're you know feeling connected to any part of our conversation today, that hopefully we've showed you how you know this does affect all of us women yeah. by this patriarchal disconnection, disempowerment. Mm-hmm. Um, and that really the emphasis for this group healing session that I'm hosting is the re-empowering, reconnecting yeah. of our divine feminine power um, as women, which you know needs that growth and that nurturing and that healing. Absolutely. And I think that sometimes the rebellion of it and like the the, where you can direct your passion and your anger. Cause like, that's what I've been wrestling with in the last year. It's like, mm-hmm. do I change jobs? Do I, you know, spend all my money on this instead? Like, how do I use my power and my energy? And like one of the most, I think important things that you can insert into your brain is another filter of like, okay, am I culturally appropriating? Whose voice is telling me that I should be doing this? Is it the fucking patriarchy yeah. or is it me actually feeling drawn to something like whose voice is saying I should start buying a retinol cream right now? Because I'm like in my mid thirties. Oh, okay. The bajillion dollar health and beauty industry. I don't give a shit how many wrinkles I have on my face. They're coming in when they come in, the gray hair comes in when it comes in. I'm not spending my money that way. And it seems so yeah. innocuous. And yet it's a time, spell of youth as well. Exactly. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. It's like, and I think, right. There's, I think the two sided coin yeah. you know, to all of that. I think the same with, you know, appropriation, who's telling you it's appropriation. I also think like as part of the oversoul that connects all of us, in our pet and knowing how we're connected with our past lives and our past self mm-hmm. is it a historical practice that's re-emerging out of mm-hmm. yourself is totally. it uh you know like um the ideas that need to come up at different times is this a reimagined magic right mm-hmm. that's coming up now that is being transmuted into mm-hmm. today's time and is literally just trying to break through and and as many people and in as many ways as it possibly can. And I think that there's a really powerful energy in that. I think that there's a disrespectful and a respectful way of doing all of those things. Mm -hmm. And I think too, checking in with checking in with yourself is again, where that power really lies. Well, and checking in with the people who finally have their voices again too, because Mm -hmm. now we can go to those communities and we can say, Hey, I've been doing this. Is this the right way to say chakra? Like I was just taught by an Indian woman, y'all are saying it wrong and it's fucking disrespectful. So like it's Mm -hmm. chakra, like it's not chakra it's chakra and you need to like that, that gives that power back to that community. Yes. You know, because yes. you're saying like, mm-hmm. that, yep, it, the it sounds weird to us. Right. Exactly. Yes. And I think we, as white women are innately in this extremely powerful position of saying we get it because we've been marginalized and we've been the witches and we've been burned at the stake. Mm-hmm. And we inherently have so much more power than other groups that for the first time yes. ever, we need to stop embodying the yeah. white masculine and start opening the door and saying, everybody get the fuck through and we'll defend you Absolutely. on the way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, it's, it's, we cannot continue to get our power from being tied to white men. Exactly. Mm-hmm. That it has never been how we've gotten our power. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. And I think, I think the story of witches teaches us that, right? Mm -hmm. Like our power as white women Mm -hmm. has almost always come from like our collective. Yeah. From speaking our wins, Mm -hmm. from speaking our hardships and our challenges, right? Like from troubleshooting them together. And I love the image you opened up, Whitney, of like, our job is to open the fucking door as the people who've been given some power, but not, not all of it. Right. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. just hold it open while everybody gets through. Like that is, that is our role. Yeah. Um, and I, I completely, completely hear that. I see that visual, like that's, that's what we can do. And I also think like tying back to what you said too, Ariel, it's, so important to speak the wins and to speak the challenges because we have learned from each other over generations of our ancestors about how to resolve some of those challenges Mm -hmm. and how to get closer to some of the wins right like I I always think about like orgasmic childbirth is always my like example I think of here because I did not know that childbirth could be like an hours long orgasm I did did not not know know that until right now. (laughs) Thank you. There is the documentary about it. Oh my God. I watched it in my history of childbirth class. Not at all surprising. Right. Again, like one of the most like coded witchy things that absolutely was part of the gender and women's studies department. I was part of, you know, um, literally like a documentary of many, many women. Okay. Not many, many, but multiple women having hours long orgasms as part of their childbirth experience wild we that is not magic that's available to us unless we know it yeah yeah right like unless we speak it Mm -hmm. we we can't know that that's available to us totally and in a similar way really deeply sustained trauma is not a thing we can deal with until we speak it yep you know what I mean? Like this gets to your witch wounds session, Ariel, this Mm -hmm. gets to like the many, many ways in society right now in the 2020s, people are speaking about intergenerational trauma. Yes. Totally. Right. Yes. It's like that way lies freedom. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. we are ancestors wildest dreams. Exactly. We are are ancestors wildest dreams. Mm -hmm. We are able to speak these things now. Mm -hmm. Right. And so it's like, this is, this is a way we can take that power that's been given to us across the generations and across speaking these things and continue to use it in the service of our own healing and also the healing of everybody around us. Right. Totally. Yes. And I hope now that this is some of that healing that could come Mm -hmm. through our conversation to you Mm -hmm. all today. I think yeah. the three of us could go and probably will go on talking about this for yeah. much, much longer, but Definitely. we have now covered so much today. So and I much. hope that you have, have learned something or something touched on you and maybe it helped bring about a little bit of healing for you as well. Let us mm-hmm. know. Um, you can always take a screenshot and share it to your stories um, of something that stood out to you. Share it, right? Speak it and share it. Um, is I think a a big part of the empowerment that we're invoking today Mm -hmm. um, is a great way to share this episode if it touched you and and let us know 
um, by commenting for, for me and Whitney. If there's anything you have as a question um, or comment for our, our dear visitor and friend today, Hannah, um, we can share it with her as well um, to get a response. So if you have a question, if something really stood out for you, let us know because we, we love hearing from you. Um, and, totally. and hopefully you can uh, leave in some power uh, today. Yes, absolutely. Yay. So much love to you. Again, all. Hannah, thank you very much for joining Hannah. us and um, stay grounded this, uh, this space time season. Thank you both. <laughs> it was an absolute joy to think witchy thoughts with you and your whole community. It was really wonderful. Thank you. Cool.